You're listening to the Grace City Boston podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at gracecityboston.com or follow us on social media at Grace City Boston. Now, let's get to the sermon. Welcome to uh, Grace City. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. We're almost there, so we all can work really hard and then take a, a giant break. Uh, if, if it's your first time, let me just say uh, thanks so much for being here. You're dropping into a series that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, walking through what has traditionally been known as uh, the Lord's Prayer. So over the last, uh, I don't know, 2,000 years or so, it's just kind of developed into uh, this thing. And so if you're familiar with church at all, uh, you've probably heard uh, the Lord's Prayer before, that statement before. Uh, if you're not, then we'll kind of walk through it a bit. But we believe uh, at our church and in historic kind of Christian belief is that the spiritual discipline or the spiritual habit of prayer, uh, I would say in my own personal life has been the single greatest change. It's been the single greatest uh, adjustment in my Christian discipleship with God that, that over the years as I begin to prioritize it more, as I begin to kind of figure out what it really looks like and how it works and all those types of things, it has been the single kind of greatest change that I've experienced in my life and the intimacy that really boils out of a life of prayer is is really unlike anything that I had experienced before in really my 20 years of walking with Jesus and the, and the reason that we're spending a significant amount of time in this is is not simply because we just think you should pray and that's really helpful and, and really good or whatever but but we're, we're, we're doing it because Jesus actually gives us a, a template for it it's the one thing that his followers said, teach us how to, to pray and, and give us some insight into what it is that, that you're, you're doing in this moment. And so there's, there's a couple of things. So if you're unfamiliar with it, uh, one of the things that'll stick out, and, and Tucker read it, but it comes from Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 15. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. But there's a, there's a couple of things that'll really stick out when you're reading it, and hopefully they've been sticking out as we're, we're going. And it's essentially this. You look at the Lord's Prayer and you go, that's really actually pretty simple. Like if you read it, it's so simple that most people that, that aren't even familiar with church, maybe you're in the room as well, you can pray the Lord's Prayer, right? You, you've got that inside of you and, and you can just repeat it. Like you may not know any other scripture, you may not have any other kind of memory verse, right? But you got the Lord's Prayer, and the reason that that's true is because it's, it's pretty straightforward and simple. It wasn't this overly complex thing. And there are essentially two reasons that Jesus gave it to us in this format that is, is really simple. So one of them is it's kind of what we would call more straightforward. And then one of them is a bit more subtle. So the, the straightforward reason that Jesus gave this really simple, not complex prayer is that he is finding himself over and over again kind of battling the overzealous religious elite. And the overzealous religious elite of his day, I mean, the, these are the people, Matthew 6, verse 5, he he's actually uh, addresses them before he gets into Lord's Prayer. This is what he says in Matthew 6, 5. He says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to what? Why are they standing on the street corners? Why are they praying out loud in the synagogues? What, what is their desire? Their desire is to be what? Seen by people. He says they want to be seen by people. And he says, truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So he's saying their reward is that. They're, they're being seen by the people. That is their reward. 
for praying. And so Jesus is continually combating those he would call hypocrites, these kind of religious elite of the day who've over kind of complex the, 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 what it means to walk with God in the way of God. And so Jesus is, is emphasizing and, and trying to kind of help them understand that re- religion, so this is what they were doing, the religious elite of the day. They were using religion, the laws of God, the commands of God, the Torah, all, all these various things, these, all these rules and regulations. And they were using these as a tool to increase their influence and to uh, project their self-righteousness. So, so they're, they're saying, look how, look how great we are. Listen to our prayers. Listen how complex our prayers are, how beautiful our prayers are, how, how just you, the simple people can't pray these prayers. This is what they're doing. They're, they're elevating themselves above the other. And so that's a very straightforward reason why Jesus is giving this prayer in a very simple way to his earliest uh, followers, these men and women. And then the second reason is a bit more subtle, and we've talked about it a bit, but Jesus is trying to emphasize the relational nature of life with God. That it's not about a formula that you have to have dialed in, that the Christ- Christianity, the, the walk with Jesus, like it's, it's not about keeping rules, it's not about pleasing some kind of distant, cosmic force that's really far up there it's not about practicing religious restraint it's about a relationship with a father it's son and daughter and dad language this is what it is this is this is what he's trying to emphasize that you have a relationship with a father in heaven that just wants you to talk to him this is what he's getting at this is why jesus began his prayer our Father, I mean, this was paradigm shifting for his listeners. Wow, we, we have a dad in heaven that we can pray to? And so it's, it's, it's kind of dual thing here, this, the simplicity of the Lord's Prayer. He's, he's kind of putting it to the religious elite, which I always appreciate. It's like digging it in on them, you know, whether just outright or, or kind of underneath it. So he's kind of taking it to them and saying, no, we, we pray like this. This is how God's people pray. This is what it means to pray in God's way. So he's going at them, and then he's saying to the marginalized and the outcast and those who've been tossed to the side, talk to your dad. Just talk to your dad. There's no rules here. Just talk to him. And so we get, uh, we get this really beautiful thing called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Matthew 6, 9 through 15. I'll read it for us, and then we'll, we'll look at the, the next part that we're into. So he says this. He says, therefore, you should pray like this. Jesus says, you, you, this is how you, I want you to pray. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So first two verses, we've talked about it. First two verses are a projection in God's kingdom, thinking about God's reality, praying that we get into God's reality. God, we want to be in your reality. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God, you, 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 your name be holy. Verse 11, now we're asking God to, in, in a way, get into our reality. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. So we're, we're asking for, for our needs, supplication. Verse 12, this is what we're looking at this morning. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Okay, so 11, 12, 13, and 14 
are all now kind of inviting, in a sense, God into our reality. And so what we've looked at over the last few weeks is we've looked at that idea as God as Father. And then we've looked at prayer as intercession, which just means uh, a part of our prayer life is about praying for others. So when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're praying God's kingdom reality into the lives of other people. When we pray for others, what we're doing many times is what we're, we're, we're doing what, what uh, perhaps they can't do in that moment. We're saying, I intercede on their behalf. I plead for them. I beg for them. Last week, we looked at prayers of supplication, that, that God wants to hear our simple prayers. So, so little bitty kind of parking lot prayers and, and the train arrive on time prayers and the, the, our favorite dish at the restaurant kind of prayers. We pray these seemingly small prayers to God. He, he wants to hear those, but God, we, we also pray for healing for the miraculous. God, that you would change our world. God, would you do it for us? So we pray small and big. And this morning, we're praying verse 12, which is forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And so we're talking about confession, repentance, and uh, forgiveness, right? How valuable is a lesson on forgiveness going to be before you go home to have Thanksgiving dinner with your family, <laughs> right? Just like lands. It's just going to land, right? You're going to walk in and be like, I need to, we need to have a conversation. All right, here we go. So talking about this idea of confession, repentance, and forgiveness. The British poet and playwright Hannah Moore said this about forgiveness. She said, forgiveness is the economy of the heart. Forgiveness saves the expense of anger, the cost of hatred, and the waste of spirits. It's the economy of the heart. Anyone that's been in recovery knows the fifth step of the 12-step program is what is admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. It's confession. It's repentance. It is forgiveness. Now, what's interesting, if you're looking at verse 12, what sticks out about this particular part of the prayer that's different than all the others is this prayer comes with a caveat. No other line in the prayer reads this way. Again, verse 12. Forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So, so two parts here, right? So we have confession and repentance begins with what? Acknowledging our guilt before God. This, this is the prayer. We're, we're saying, uh, God, I'm, I'm acknowledging before you that I need, so if I'm saying to God, forgive us of our debts, what is it? I'm presupposing that I have a problem, that I have brokenness in my life. And then the second part is that we are, are now, what follows that is that we are to forgive those who are guilty towards us. One theologian says it this way, this is where the Lord's prayer is the most difficult to pray. Perhaps that is why it is the longest and most involved petition in the Lord's Prayer. If you kick down to the end of the Lord's Prayer, the last part in verse 14 and 15, you'll notice that Jesus revisits this. This is how important it is to God. 14 and 15, he says, For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses, right? So this is such a major part of the prayer and also a major part of our Christian discipleship. Our ability to say before God, I need forgiveness, I, I need to practice repentance and confession, and I need to forgive others. I need to release them. It's a regular practice that's really, really, really important to God. That we practice confession, repentance, 
that, that our commitment to confess and repent is, is rooted in the fact that, that we know we've been, uh, that we've received forgiveness through the life, death, and resurrection of, Je- of Jesus, this matters to God. Okay, so let's look at these two things. Uh, firstly, let's look at confession and repentance. And then secondly, let's look at our need to extend uh, forgiveness uh, to others. Well, w- why is this aspect, why did Jesus even put this um, aspect into our prayer life? Why is it needed? Well, it's needed because we have a remarkable ability. You and I have a remarkable ability to make a tremendous mess of our lives. Uh, the Bible uh, calls it uh, sin. You can call it destructive behavior. You, you can call it wh- whatever you, you, whatever you want to call it. It is the reality that deep down inside of us, we have a tremendous ability uh, to bring about all sorts of brokenness and confusion and hurt. Like it's in us. We, we, we cannot get uh, away from us. The, the reality of sin is, is just there. Uh, one theologian and pastor G.K. Chesterton said, sin is the only part of the Christian theology that can really be proved. I kind of appreciate that, right? That, that I, I don't know, I, you don't really have to convince, um, you don't really have to convince an atheist or an agnostic or a lot of those who maybe don't walk in the way of Jesus that there's something wrong with humanity. Just turn on the news. Uh, look in your own life, your own kind of relational life. And so if you've ever thought, man, what is wrong with the world? You, me. Right, us collectively, us. We are what's wrong with the world. Because you're like, why? Why do? Why is everywhere I go there's confusion and brokenness? Why is there relational disharmony everywhere I seem to go? There's relational disharmony. You know, I'm in meetings with people and they're kind of sharing. I just can't get my relate. I got all this relational harmony. I can't just seem to develop it. Blah blah blah. And they're like, I don't know. She did this and she did that and then she did that. And I just can't figure out what the issue is. It's one thing. It's the same in all of these scenarios. It's you. And all of us have this capacity. It's hardwired into us an ability to, or inability to live selfless lives, an ability or a habit to choose self overall, regardless of the destructive nature of it. Shakespeare said it this way in King Lear. He said, we make guilty of our disasters, the sun, the moon, and the stars, as if we were villains on necessity drunkards and liars and adulterers by the enforced obedience of planetary influence no it's not out there it's in here this is why confession and repentance is necessary it's inside of us this is why jesus is saying we must do it we must make a habit of these things we we don't mature past our confession and repentance there's not a time that we arrive this is why the Old Testament, uh, prophets of the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, if you just kind of survey confession, uh, Hosea chapter 11, Ezra 9.13, Jeremiah 31, all, all of these verses, if you, if you kind of read through these various parts of the Bible, are just full of, of God, we've, we've wronged you, God, we've done uh, evil in your sight, we've rebelled against you, God, would you help us? We need your help on behalf of the people. H- here's what the prophets understood, here's what I want you to hear. Because this is why this is in the prayer. Because I talked about this relational nature that God is emphasizing, that Jesus is emphasizing in the prayer. The, the part you have to understand is that sin is personal. So, so when you sin, it starts with God and then it spills over onto other people. 
So when we sin, we're not sinning simply against a commandment or a rule. That's, that's not what we're sinning against. We're sinning against God. It's not a violation of some type of law. It's a violation of personal relationship. So if that's the case, that if it's personal, it's a violation against a person, a personal relationship, then it takes the personal work of repentance and confession to bring about healing. This is why David said in Psalm 51, 4, against you and you alone, talking to God, against you and you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. God, it's against you. So we, we, we pray. We say, God, forgive us of our debts. Would you forgive us of our failure to live as honest people with our neighbors? Would you forgive us for not recognizing the gifts that are giving and for stealing what is not ours to have? Would you forgive us for using the gift of language to deceive? Would you forgive us for using the gift of sexuality for our own personal satisfaction and fulfillment? Would you forgive us for using the gift of strength to abuse and to murder? And would you forgive us for using the gift of plenty to impoverish others? Forgive us. We own this before you. The fact that it's personal is why it took a personal means to forgive us. Jesus, here's the beauty of the prayer, is, is the, the perfect son of God comes alongside of us and prays with us, forgive us. This is why the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 4, 15, that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. God, when it comes to our sin, God is not distant from the sin that plagues us. If anything, God sees the sin, God sees the rebellion, God sees the brokenness and moves towards it. The story, if I was going to summarize the story, the arc, the, the meta-narrative of the Bible, easily could summarize it by saying it is God's pursuit of a rebellious people. His consistent pursuit, his nonstop pursuit of, of pursuing a people who are in the habit of sinning against him. And so we have Jesus here uh, saying to us, no, we, we, this is how we pray. This is what, this is what we do. It's why Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this about Jesus, says that he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, that we are a people who've received forgiveness, right? So Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the sinless one, but I become sin on your behalf so that you can receive the forgiveness of the Father, so that you can pray with confidence as a son and daughter of God. God, would you forgive us? This is what Jesus has done. This is why he teaches confession. This is why he says to ask for forgiveness, that when we do this, God responds to our confession and extends forgiveness. Eugene Peterson says it this way. God does not deal with sin by ridding our lives of it as if it were a germ or mice in the attic. 
God does not deal with sin by amputation as if it were a gangrious leg, leaving us crippled in holiness on a crutch. God deals with sin by forgiving us. And when he forgives us, there is more of us, not less. This is what forgiveness from God is. Repentance and confession is actually an invitation and to, to know and understand God at a deeper and more richer level. This is what confession and repentance is. It's an invitation to, to understand him. David Ford, he's a professor at Cambridge. He was interviewing a, a Catholic priest, and they were talking about the problem that this particular Catholic priest has experienced when it comes to confession over the last 20 years. And he said this. He said the Catholic priest... Uh, said, without hesitation, the priest replied, God, which naturally you would go, what? That God's the problem with confession. This is what he says. He says, very few of the parishioners that he meets in confession behave as if God is a God of love, forgiveness, gentleness, and compassion. They see God, he said, they see God as someone to cower before, not as someone like Jesus, worthy of our trust comments he says this is perhaps the hardest truth of any to grasp do we wake up every morning amazed that we are loved by God do we allow our day to be shaped by God's desire to relate to us it's an invitation to know God at a deeper level when we are honest before him own our sin and rebellion before him it's actually a way to experience a deeper and richer type of relationship with him. This is why Jesus is giving, our, giving these instructions, right? He, what are our options? When it comes to sin, what are our options? Uh, our options are to what? We can conceal it and hide it, right? That's a choice. How does that work out? that work out well? <laughs> no, it doesn't. It eats away, destroys until it manifests itself into a far worser thing or everything breaks down and you, you blow up your life. So, so you can conceal it and hide it. You can pretend it's not there. Try to ignore it, right? You can push it deep and it's like, ah, it's not really an issue. I don't really, that's not really a thing. Or you can what? You can confess it. And confession releases it. One theologian says it this way, to confess, to confess your sins to God is not to tell God anything that he, God doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are an, an abyss between you and him. When you confess them, they become the Golden Gate Bridge. How do you receive healing from Jesus? It's through confession. Do not overcomplicate this. If you want to receive healing from Jesus, it is through confession. Anyone in this room who's done something to hurt another understands the potential power there is by confessing and repenting to the one that you hurt and then experiencing the, the beautiful depth of relational harmony and relational capital that can come out of that moment. There have been multiple times, right, in my life where it's like, 
I need to own this, and, and I don't want to own this. I don't want to confess this. I don't want to repent this. I, I, I don't want to I don't want to have this conversation, right? No one wakes up in the morning and goes, I cannot wait to walk through all the ways I've wronged God and people today. And I just want to, God, I just want to manifest, I just, I'm just going to out loud today do that. No one wants to do that. No one wants to do it. But, but many of you know and, and understand the beauty of that. When you have that conversation and you sit across from, from that, that, that person and that person still says, I love you. I care for you. I'm with you. I'm in this with you, right? That's, that's a, a relationship that is healthy and beautiful. I, don't, I know it doesn't always go that way. I'm talking, uh, I'm talking healthy, beautiful relationships. This is the invitation that God is inviting us into, that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the opportunity that we have. So we understand that confession and repentance is reparative. And so the question this morning is, as we're thinking about this part of our prayer is what is keeping you from being honest before God what's keeping you from being honest before God is it fear is it a, is it a perception of God that's not true because the, the Bible is very clear that, that we have a loving father who desires relational harmony with you that desires to extend forgiveness towards you, who, who's made a way through Jesus for you to be able to, to say to him, as Jesus has instructed, God, forgive me. Forgive us. Okay, second part. Second part of the prayer, really important. He says, as we forgive others. Now, forgiveness, this idea of forgiveness is at the core about a concern for human community. You, you cannot... Listen, extending forgiveness is vital for healthy relationships. You cannot have relationships without an ability to extend forgiveness. You can't have friendships without an ability to extend forgiveness. Uh, you certainly can't have marriage without an ability to extend forgiveness, right? Like we have that, I've, I'm, I've, my wife has that dialed in real well, right, with me. So you, you can't be married without having to, to extend forgiveness, uh, you can't have multi-ethnic relationships without forgiveness. Uh, you can't have, you, you just, it's not possible to have healthy relationships without an ability to extend forgiveness towards others. Is it? it it's not. And, you're, and it, I can guarantee you if I sat down with you, if I sat down with you and you, 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 you have bitterness and anger, in your heart, and you, you struggle. You, you struggle to overcome those things. We'll, we'll talk about that. Um, you, you struggle to over overcome those things, and, and in that, your relational ability and network grows smaller and smaller. Um, what's fascinating, uh, in the the sad reality, what's sadly become apparent over the past, I don't know, ten to fifteen years is that we have become a people from a cultural moment. We have become a people who habitually withhold forgiveness. We actually, we have a, a term for it. It's called cancel culture. And cancel culture is a, is a really interesting thing. It, it's actually, you know what's fascinating about cancel culture? What's fascinating about withholding forgiveness and, and all that, this is actually something that the right and left agree on, Right? Like there, there's not much that 
uh, conservatives and progressives will agree on. But, but they'll, they'll pretty much agree on, on canceling someone. Like they're, 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 it's, it's, they're like pretty lined up on this. This is, is, is somewhere where they, they practice, right? We, we know that. We, we see it. Um, you, could, you, could, you could tweet something, X something. I don't know, whatever it is now, right? You, you could tweet something as a 12-year-old kid 20 years ago. I don't know if Twitter was wrong 20 years ago. 10, 15 years ago. As a 12-year-old, and we will find it, and we will use it to destroy you. Now, <clears throat> you, you could have went through the most transformative experience in your life, and yet if we find something in your past, it's over with for you. It, it, it's over with for you. It doesn't matter who you are now, or how much good you've done, or how much you've changed, if we find something in your past, we will end you. We will end you. Now, I'm not, we'll get to it. I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not talking about pursuing justice. I'm not talking about legitimate, you know, observing someone's past as evidence for their leadership in the future. Do not hear me. That is not what I'm saying. I'm not giving a license to, to just be whoever you want to be and do whatever you want to do with no type of, of, of consequences or repercussions or any of those types of things, right? Hear me. I'm going to be very clear. But we have made it an art form to find something, to destroy a person, no matter where they were at at that point in their life, no matter where they were at emotionally, they could be in their adolescence, it does not matter. Lord, Lord help if Twitter was around when I was an 11-year-old boy. And the, the way of Jesus demands that we become a people who push back against cancel culture and push into biblical forgiveness. That we, that we learn what it means to extend forgiveness. Listen, if we use carnal means, we get carnal results. And so if we in the church, hear me, hear me, if we in the church want to look like the culture, then we use the means of the culture. If we want to look like the people of Jesus, then we use the means that were set in front of us by who? Jesus. And so it's hard. It's difficult. Forgiveness, I think, is actually going to be the place, as we see the kind of the culture develop, I think forgiveness is going to be the place where Christians continue to kind of separate themselves from the cultural moment. And, and just say, man, we're going to practice and do something that feels radically different than our society. And we're going to be patient with one another. And we're going to extend forgiveness towards one another. And we're going to recognize each of us have brokenness. Each of us has problems. We're going we're gonna to do that work. We're, we're going to do it. This is, this is what we... Um, need to do you, you cannot hear me the bible seems to assume that you cannot be a christian and adopt a posture of unforgiveness towards those who've wronged you now why do i say that well jesus gives a parable of the unforgiving servant uh, it starts this way this comes from matthew 18 uh, peter says to jesus how many times should i forgive someone who's wronged me and so peter throws out this number he's like seven feels good so he's like seven 
do I forgive that person seven times, right? So Peter's thinking, Peter probably put that out there and thought what? Whew, that's crazy generous. Like God's a, Jesus is about to give me some major credit, right? Major credit. Because I mean, seven times is significant. That's a significant type of forgiveness. And so Peter goes, you know, Jesus, he's like, I mean, he's like seven times. You know, he's like about to receive something from Jesus. And Jesus says, Jesus' response, I'm sure, surprises them. He says, no, not seven, but 70 times seven. Now, is he saying when you get to 490, you stop? Is that what Jesus is saying? No, he's trying to help it land, but then he follows it with this parable, Matthew 18, 23 through 35. He says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. That's a ridiculous amount of money, right? A lot. That's um, a lot. Verse 25. It says, since he did not, the servant, since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything that he had be sold to pay the debt. Pretty harsh repayment here. Verse 26. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, please be patient with me. I'll pay you everything. Verse 27, the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and what did he do? Forgave the loan. Amazing example of forgiveness, right? This is what God does. You have a, a debt against me because of your sin that is impossible for you to pay back. Impossible. You cannot, hear me, hear me. No one will sin against you. And, and, and some of us have experienced a tremendous amount of sin against us. But, but no one will sin against you the amount that you've sinned against God. And it, it will never cost you, to, to extend forgiveness will never cost you what it costs God. And so in the parable, Jesus says, he forgives them for this ridiculous amount. Verse 28, that servant went out, found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. So nothing compared to what had been forgiven him. So the natural, what's your natural inclination? If you're reading the story, you would think, oh man, what a beautiful redemptive story. This servant just had all this debt forgiven him. Now he's going to see this, this gentleman or this sister, and, and now he's going to extend to this person. What a beautiful redemptive story. It's not what happens. Verse 28, found this other one. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, the fellow servant fell down, began begging him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Verse 30, but he wasn't willing. Instead, he went, he threw him into prison until he, until he could pay what was owed. The servant said, forgive me, but then did not practice forgiveness. Verse 31, when the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and they went and reported to their master everything that had happened. God sees and will reconcile all things. He sees the injustice that has been done against you and will bring justice. He also sees your refusal to release and extend forgiveness. He sees that as well. And so Jesus says, the servants see, and they go to the master. Verse 32. Then after he had summoned him, the master said to him, you wicked 
servant. I forgave you all of that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also had had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And then it says, because of his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. And he says, so also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. This is how serious God takes extending and withholding forgiveness. We have forgiveness in Jesus. And what the Bible is saying here, this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you, you cannot be one who's received forgiveness and yet withhold it. Th- these things do not match up. Now, there's basically two myths when we think about um, forgiveness. The, the first myth when it comes, I don't know if myth is the right word, but um, one, one thing we tend to believe is we only give forgiveness if what? They ask for it. That's punitive. That's not biblical forgiveness. We, we, we extend it. The, the Bible's motivated. Its forgiveness is motivated. It, it's not conditional. We're not waiting on them. We're, we're extending it to them. We don't forgive if they only ask. We extend forgiveness believing in the common good. So, so we're not waiting. The, the second thing uh, that we tend to think about, and, and it's not necessarily that this isn't true. It's just not the main reason that we forgive. Uh, the other reason that you tend to hear for why we forgive forgiveness is what? It's about your inner health. And if you hold forgiveness, bitterness and anger will grow, and it'll eat away at you, and, and it's, it's, it's really actually very unhealthy for you to withhold all of that, right? We've heard that, and th- that's a true thing. That's very much true. But it's not our core motivation for extending forgiveness. Why? Because that's centered on self. That's still centered on self. It's true, but it's not our main motivation. So if it's not that, if it's not, we're not waiting, and if it's not about our inner health, what is it? Paul writes this, Colossians 3, 12 through 13. He says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13, here it is. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you also are to forgive. The reason that we forgive is because we have been forgiven. It's about honoring God. Full stop. It's about honoring God. This is why we do it. In closing, uh, Tony Evans says this, this idea of we we look most like Christ. He says, forgiveness does not mean approving a wrong or excusing an evil. Forgiveness isn't necessarily the reconciliation of a relationship. He says the Greek word translated for forgiveness literally means to release. Forgiveness is our choice to release a person from an obligation for a wrong committed against us. In the New Testament, the word was used for canceling a debt. Here's what happens when you extend forgiveness. Forgiveness is basically a form of voluntary, uh, of volu- of voluntary suffering. I'm going to extend this to you and I'm going to eat the cost. Tim Keller says forgiveness is a granted event before it's a felt promise. It's a promise before God not to take revenge on the wrongdoer for his or her sin against you. Here's the thing. I I do want to say this, in this idea of justice and forgiveness. 
if you don't forgive first, if you don't forgive someone who's wronged you, someone who's created a wrong, if you don't forgive them first, you're not going after justice, you're going after vengeance. And, and justice and vengeance are two different things. Vengeance brings about what? More anger, more retaliation, and more bitterness. Justice is the opposite. So, so we're not a people that, that, that don't go after justice. We go after justice. It, it's just not vengeance. It, it's actually producing something in us with, with the hope that it will produce something in the one that is receiving the consequence of their behavior as well. Is it not? This is the call to biblical justice. Let's take um, just a few, just a few, just a minute or so. And let's go ahead and kind of put our stuff down. Let's just sit in a moment. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're here and you've just been, you just know it. You've been withholding forgiveness from someone. And so maybe this morning you've had a, a root of kind of bitterness that's been growing, a, a spirit of bitterness that's taken hold of your life. Maybe this morning you just need to, you need to release that to God. You know perhaps you need to have a conversation uh, with someone about that. You just need to say, I need to release you. I need to release this. Maybe it's a parent, a mom or dad. You've been withholding this. Like you just had a dad that was just awful. So maybe this morning you just need to acknowledge that before God. Uh, maybe you're here and, and you need to own your sin before God. Perhaps you're the one who's wronged or sinned someone. Maybe you've been concealing or ignoring it. So let's take a little bit of space. You need to bow your head, maybe close your eyes. I'm going to end with this Eugene Peterson quote, and we'll just kind of sit for a second. He says this about confession and repentance and forgiveness. He says, exposing and naming sin is not at the center of life lives to the glory of God. Witch hunting is not gospel work. Shaming the outcast is not gospel work. Forgiving sin is gospel work. Forgiving sin is gospel work. Let's sit for a moment. Let's talk with God.